The calling of the church and the calling to figure out your spiritual gifts is not so that we can become an isolated commune. Sometimes in Christianity, we have seen this, where churches are all using their spiritual gifts and they'll celebrate the fact that, oh, our church, everyone's using their gifts, we're a big happy family, everything's so perfect, and yet they haven't kept reading in 1 Corinthians, where Paul begins to end the letter and what he comes full circle around is that it's all for the gospel. You're listening to Mountain View Church Audio. My name's Jeremy and I'm a local pastor here in Whitehorse, Yukon Territory. Each week, we bring you a fresh message designed to help you encounter Jesus through biblical instruction. You don't have to know anything about the Bible. We're just glad you're here. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, as he wrote to the Corinthian church, uh, in in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we see this statement. He, He says to the church, concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. And the church of Corinth was a church like ours. And so, in some regard, we, we, have, to accept, we have to accept that Christians in any church shouldn't be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And if a church is uninformed uh, regarding spiritual gifts, then it is up to the leadership of that church to make sure they're in, un, they are informed. And, and really, we can kind of take that and... and if we look at the, the scripture as a whole, look at the New Testament, spiritual gifts is a major part of church life. So today, we're going to kind of unpack that. We're, we're doing a two-part series to kick off our fall ministries, and we're teaming up with UConn Bible Fellowship and um, a great pastoral friend of mine, accountability partner, Simon Ayrton. And we're doing a two-part kind of sermon series, Gifting and Calling. First, looking at... What are our spiritual gifts? Once we come to know Jesus and we're gifted with the Holy Spirit, with that Holy Spirit, there are specifically gifts that we are given for the church. What are they? And if we don't know as believers, that is somewhat problematic. Following that, Simon and I are actually going to trade churches. And next week, Simon's going to be here, and I'm going to be teaching at UConn Bible Fellowship, and we're going to be talking about calling. Once we know our spiritual gifts, there's a moment we have to have where we listen to the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will impress upon us, and it's often validated by Scripture and by other believers, there is something that we're supposed to do, something we're supposed to do maybe for a short time in the church or a long time in the church, uh, right all the way to maybe something really big that, that costs your whole life and head off to some foreign country in missions. Gifting and calling and understanding our gifting and calling is a key part of being a follower of Jesus. And we want to make sure that everyone understands that with the hope that, that our church, once they understand their gifting and what God's calling, to, calling them to, that every believer that attends Mountain View, and obviously UConn Bible Fellowship too, we're doing this in partnership with them, would choose an area of service that best fits their gifting and calling. So let's jump right in. The big question is, what are the spiritual gifts? There's four letters in particular that talk about it. Three written directly to three different churches, and one unpacked to the greater church that's being persecuted by Peter. And so we're just going to read through all four of those sections concerning spiritual gifts. So you can grab a Bible. They're under the seats in front of you. It'll appear on the screen. These are the four passages we're going to look at, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 
Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4. All right, they're all pretty close together in the New Testament. That's the last third of your Bible. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you don't own one, or you need an extra one, or um, we want to make sure that you have copies of Scripture so you can talk to the greeters uh, or Cornelia at the welcome desk after the service, and they'll give you a Bible that you can take home, and you're welcome to have that. So let's jump right in. First Corinthians is our first, uh, our first kind of letter that we'll be looking at. And we're going to go all the way to chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians 12. Here we go. Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by, the, by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individual as he wills. Then Paul goes on to talk about the church as a body, and we're all body parts of one church, and every body part needs to function according to the gifts they've been given. And then if you jump down to verse 27, it says this, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Now I want you to move forward. Keep that in mind. Move forward to the book of Romans. Okay, move forward in, or to the front of your Bible. Just a, not many pages at all. Just a, a, maybe 10, 20 pages there to Roman tw- Romans 12. And Paul now writing to the church in Rome, the Roman church. And he writes this in, uh, look at verses 3 to 8. He says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, 
the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. All right, now we're going to go back towards the end. We're going to look at a third letter. This is a third letter Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. So move to Ephesians. You're going to go past First and Second Corinthians now to the, to the letter to the uh, Ephesian church. Should be right after Galatians. All right, and, if, and in Ephesians chapter 4, there's a few verses here where Paul, again, references spiritual gifts. He says this, and he, speaking about Jesus, he gave the, apostle, the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we, uh, until, excuse me, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Uh, we'll keep going to 16. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined together, joined, sorry, joined and held together by every joint with which it is w- equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And last, we're going to keep going towards the back of your Bible to First Peter. This is the last passage we're going to look at before we unpack some of this. First Peter is written to the, the church that is scattered. So pers- heavy persecution comes under the church and Christians have, have to run for their lives. They're in hiding, they're scared, they're terrified. And First Peter writes a letter and he references in a couple verses here in, a, in his letters talking about the church. He makes sure, he adds a little reminder here about uh, the gifts and the body. And, and he says in verses 10 and 11, he, he says this, he says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All right. So, we are, we have been informed. Paul, and Peter have given letters, letters to the early church, and we can take these letters. It's as if they're being written to us. These are the letters we have to kind of accept these. They've informed us. Through the Holy Spirit, we are given gifts. But something always comes with spiritual gifts. There's, there's an understanding that it needs to be interpreted. And, and context of all these letters is crucial. Each of the three letters to the churches, each of these churches had very different things going on. You, you, have, you have Corinth, for example, that is just running amok. There's massive sexual immorality and idolatry, idolatry and stuff in the church. It is in rough shape. You have Ephesus that's really trying to question like where God comes from. How, do I, how did I become a, a Christian? How did I get here? All these different things. So there's different letters and different purposes. 
But the, the central message can be the same in each of the gifts. And I, I want to give a couple examples. Uh, because how these were written to first century church and how we hear them with Western ears in 2018 can vary. For sometimes, maybe some of you heard this word administering or administration, you look at this as one of the gifts, and we automatically sometimes associate it with paperwork. And that's not true. It's not secretarial work when you're gifted with administration, biblically. Biblical administration is vastly different than what we refer to as administration um, in the Western world in 2018. It's actually, administration is, the, is one of the leadership gifts, and it's the movement of people and places and things. They administer large projects. Very different than just simply filing paperwork. But let's look at evangelism, too, as an example. If we understand the concept of the gift of evangelism or an evangelist, we can default to say, oh, God gave the Holy Spirit to evangelists in a measure so that we don't have to tell people about Jesus, we don't have to share our faith. That is actually out of context with the entirety of Scripture. The context is that Jesus gave to all believers, to all followers of him, that they should share the gospel when they should be ready in season, out of season. We should always be willing and ready to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and here's how you can be one too. However, in context, we do understand that certain people through the power of the Holy Spirit are gifted with such an ability to share the gospel that they can make any situation and they seem to be able to draw a line from any situation, any topic, back to the cross. They have that unique ability. And it's amazing. It's, it's miraculous in a lot of ways. And these evangelists in the church can actually teach the rest of the church to become better evangelists. But now let's talk about another example. Let's talk about the miraculous gifts. Uh, despite what maybe some of the televangelists that you have seen, the miraculous gifts are not for fame and fortune. They do not lead to a blessing of holy water, and for $59.99, you can have this water and get me a new jet. doesn't work like that. That's not how the miraculous gifts work. Now, there's lots of scrutiny in depending on which denomination on the miraculous gifts. Uh, there's lots of people that sit, you know, in my camp a little bit with Baptist doctrine that would say, no, nope, miraculous gifts ended. They don't happen anymore. They happened with the apostles. Then it was cut off and that's it. I don't know if I'm personally willing to go there because we have missionaries all over the world that, that give validated reports, multiple missionaries and multiple validated sources that in some of the, you know, some of the craziest situations, some of the most difficult areas of the world, there are miracles that are happening. Happening, And even in our, own, uh, in our own context, I have been a part of a, a prayer service where we prayed over a, a lady who was given six months to live, and her cancer went away, and I just was in Alaska, and I hugged this same lady now 10 years later, and, and she's still alive. So miracles do happen, but, but we can't say the miraculous gifts and automatically attach miracles. Miracles taking place and miraculous gifts are very different. And these miraculous gifts, gifts of tongue, gifts of healing, things like that, we need to make sure that, that we look at the evidence. And the evidence in the Christian world and the evidence in the gospel is one, most of the time we see that miraculous gifts are more apparent in areas of the world where literacy is low or where access to scripture in that language is low. 
So this tells us a story. If the gifts are ultimately kind of what we see in Scripture to lead people to Jesus, we see the apostles, people coming, and they had the gifts of healing, and the apostles would, would tell people, you know, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus, and you be healed. And they could lay hands on them. They would heal them. People were coming for healing. But the ultimate goal of the healing is that people receive Jesus. And we get accounts from missionaries that in places where the gospel has not been reached, and they're reaching the gospel, that the Spirit does pour out some gifts of healing and they they are being healed and through that they are believing in Jesus. Moreover, in tongues, in 1 Corinthians, if we had a read through, kept reading in the chapters, once we get into 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, Paul specifically outlines that the gifts of tongues is for the unbeliever. And that there's an unpacking that, that normally isn't re- referenced with tongues that, for example, if someone who's maybe third, fourth generation Canadian, and they're in Whitehorse, and all of a sudden, there's someone who's just moved from India, they struggle with English, and all of a sudden, this believer miraculously has the ability to speak Punjabi and shares the gospel with them, and this Indian man or woman follows Jesus after that moment. According to scripture, that is a very validated account of a miraculous tongue of language taking place. And so I'm not saying it can happen, but here's the, here's the difference to it. Validated cases always lead to the gospel, but more importantly, an ongoing validated case is so rare, we hardly ever see it in the rest Western world. world. This is where someone, just like in a gift of ministration or a gift of mercy or a gift of giving, they are poured out with the Holy Spirit, they come to know Jesus, and from that moment on, they can heal people. Every single person that, they, that it, when they share the gospel and they heal them, they come to know Jesus. And it's an ongoing gift like the others. We have gifts of action, proclamation, and heart that seem to be ongoing. But ongoing miraculous gifts where they have this gift, like in the early church, like with the apostles, where they can do it over and over and over again, and it's validated. They do it in front of people, and people validate. I saw this happen. I witnessed it. Things like that. So context is crucial. Is it focused on the gospel? Is it validated with evidence and witnesses? It's important. And this goes for all the different gifts. Now, next thing I want to talk about is assessment. Now, right away, sometimes when I talk about assessment, when pastors and leaders in the church talk about assessment, there's automatically, right away, they're like, they didn't have assessments in the Bible, that's of the devil, and all these different things. And and you get a, a lot of onslaught when you talk about assessment. We never had assessment, and we were fine. I would suggest that in the conservative evangelical world, we have a long history over the past 50, 60 years of people not knowing or using their spiritual gifts. Churches that kind of push away of finding spiritual gifts tend to be churches where everyone's not using them. So I maybe think there's a little bit of, of evidence there that we can look in history. But what I'm not saying is that, is that assessments for spiritual gifts are theological mandates. That's just not true. However, assessments are a tool created by spirit-filled teachers, pastors, leaders, a way that they can ask questions and they can flesh out the, a person's values, uh, their passions, their goals, their vision for life and their relationship with God. And through these questions, it can start to become very apparent what their assessment, what the assessment, what their spiritual gifts are, or at least target it down to a region, to a few. 
And, and this has worked in loads of churches. It's worked in our church. It's, it's, it's uh, worked in a lot of our leadership and things like that. And now I would say, just to caveat of what we're going to come back to after this little, little break here, um, assessment without affirmation is not accurate. Affirmation, which is a very biblical concept, affirmation is necessary. And we're going to talk about that in 10 minutes. But right now, I'm going to ask that all the, the overhead lights come up. We're going to take a 10-minute break, and you have a chance. You can either do it on your tablet or phone or whatever at spiritualgiftstest.com. That's the one I feel is the best or most accurate. Or you can go to giftstest.com. Or you can do a paper version there in your seats. So we're going to take 10 minutes and do spiritual gift assessments, and then we're going to come back and finish the message. Uh, just to close things up, affirmation is key. Once you, you find your spiritual gifts, you have this card in your seat, and it's God has gifted me with, and your top three spiritual gifts, you write them in that card. But Scripture shows us that an affirmation by other believers or by someone in oversight or someone that leads you in an area of ministry, uh, pastors, elders, teachers, or, or overseers in some regard in your ministry, they... they a lot of times if you say, hey, my spiritual gift assessment says I'm these things, have you seen those things? And they'll be able to affirm whether or not those are valid gifts. I, I don't think assessment alone is, is correct. But then the question comes, why use my spiritual gifts? Why bother? What's the point? What's at stake? So I found my spiritual gifts, I don't have to really listen to them. I don't have to really pay attention to what they say and try to actively find an area of service. Can I just attend a church and listen to a sermon, sing a few songs, and just exist in that function? Isn't that good enough? Isn't that ultimately what Christianity is? Scripture indicates that that's not what Christianity is. That that Christianity, that what Jesus called us to is, yeah, we need to meet as a church, but we also need to serve the church, but what for? Well, in 1 Corinthians, we looked at, at chapter 12, and it talked about spiritual gifts in the body, and then it goes on to talk about how the church functions. It talks a, a lot about love. But once we get to chapter 15, Paul comes full circle to talk about something that's most important. And in, as, we, as it moves to chapter 15, after he's talked about the church and gifts and love and how the church should function, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And this is key. Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to cephas then to the 12 and the calling of the church and the calling to figure out your spiritual gifts is not so that we can become an inclusive uh, isolated commune sometimes in Christianity, we have seen this, where churches are all using their spiritual gifts, and they'll celebrate the fact that, oh, our church, everyone's using their gifts, we're a big happy family, everything's so perfect, and yet they haven't kept reading in 1 Corinthians. They haven't read near the end of 
1 Corinthians where Paul begins to end the letter and what he comes full circle around is that it's all for the gospel. That first importance is that Christ died for the sins, to forgive the sins, he was buried and he rose again. We can all be using our spiritual gifts and the church can, can function beautifully, but the ultimate goal of every gift is so that people will come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. And whether you're making coffee and welcoming people in, whether you're serving children, doing crafts with them, whether you're working in our tech crew, making sure everything functions on a Sunday morning, whether you're hosting a community group, whether you're leading a community group, all of those are great things, but ultimately we need to understand that the end goal of a church that all uses their gifts, as Peter says in in 1 Peter, the other place we looked at, it says, by your good deeds, they will glorify God. By your good deeds, the pagans and Gentiles will glorify God. That the idea that a church that is functioning and serving each other and using all their gifts, it's irresistible. And, and a church that uses their gifts should never become isolated where everyone's doing their own thing for their own thing. When they do, ultimately people are attracted to that and they come into a church and they say, what's with these people? Why are they all serving each other? Why are they all doing the things that they're great at? I want to be a part of that. How do I become a part of that? And that's where we share with them the gospel of Jesus of first importance that he died for their sin, that he was buried, and that he conquered that sin through the resurrection, and that they can be a part of it by accepting the gospel of Christ. So, according to Jesus, according to the New Testament scriptures, we're all supposed to be using our gifts. It's not a Jeremy thing. Starting right back with our very first statement that Paul says, I do not want you to be uninformed about this. It's important. And so I hope either as you finish your assessment or maybe you've already finished and you fill these in that you would look at this and you would have these. And I encourage you to take someone out for lunch that you really trust, a, a believer that you, you value their opinion. You take them out for lunch today or maybe coffee this week and bring this little card and say, hey, this is what it said. Have you seen this in me? And then begin to ask yourself, where is God calling me? Because next week, Simon's going to unpack this part with us, uh, with you guys. And, and you're going to start to see, okay, this is where God wants me to use these gifts. You've been listening to Mountain View Church Audio. If God has used this message to impact your life today, I'd love to hear about it. Drop me a message at jeremy at mountainviewwhitehorse.ca or on your favorite social network at Pastor Jeremy Norton. To get connected with Mountain View Church or to support Mountain View Ministries through a financial gift, please visit mountainviewwhitehorse.ca. That's mountainviewwhitehorse.ca.